Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Fantastic. I am Chaplain Ellis. I am the 121 Infantry Chaplain. Any gimlets out there this morning? All right, we got one in the back. Fantastic. It's good to have you here this morning. Glad to have you. And uh, before we get into this message, you know, I just want to remind you, feel free to talk back. It's okay. This this doesn't have to be a spectator sport. Um, but before we do that, even more importantly, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning and I ask again that you would cleanse me and purify me. If there's anything between you and I, that you would remove it. Lord, let me decrease. Let you increase. May you be magnified through every word that you speak through me this morning. Let your Holy Spirit rest on me and use me. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a pretty normal holiday season. And I think you can understand what I say when I say that there was a soldier that went home on block leave. And this one night, his father had gone to bed and his siblings were out and he had decided not to go out that evening for one reason or another. And he was left alone with his mother. And they were sitting on the couch and she just did one of these. And he knew it was coming. And she looked at him and she said, why are you here? And he said, well, mom, this is a time when families come together. And she said, but you don't even believe in Jesus. I look at you and your eyes are dark. They're dead. You are dead. I want my son back. And then she went to bed. If we are not in Christ, we are dead in our sins, whether we know it or not. I want you to turn with me this morning to Ephesians 2. We're going to be beginning with verse 1. And we're going to be pretty much camped out there this morning. So while you're turning, feel free to keep turning. I'm just going to go ahead and read. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version, which says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom, all we, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. When Adam was created, 
God took earth or, or clay, depending on how you look at it or translate it. I don't know that it really matters. And he formed a body. This body was perfect. There was no flaw in it. But was it alive? Not yet. It, it was not alive. Adam was not alive at that point. He had no feelings. He had no consciousness. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. He couldn't breathe on his own. He couldn't even blink. He was without that breath of God, which the Bible tells us that God breathed into him and he came to life. Another translation for that breath from the Hebrew word, and I'm going to try not to spit on, luckily you guys aren't in the spitting aisles, but ruach in Hebrew, which not only can be translated breath, but it can be translated as spirit. And like Jeremiah, like Chaplain Verdon had said last week, we need to know God. Amen? But if we have, and this is my first point, it's not up there this morning, it's all right. No God, N-O God, no life. See, without that Holy Spirit, without knowing God and that Holy Spirit entering into us, we're like zombies. We are simply driven by our desires. We are driven by whatever it is that we are trying to fill that void. Because we're not really feeling anything. We don't really understand the world and the way it is. We are in the dark. We are blind. We can't really see much of anything. We're just trying to go from the next thing that makes us feel something to the next thing that makes us feel something. It's not much of a life to live. We're also dead because we are walking in the broad way. We're not walking on the narrow way which leads to life, but we are walking in the broad way which leads to destruction. And we have to remember that God's ways are above our ways. It's difficult for us to understand his ways until we know him. And it is only until we know him that we begin to have an understanding of who he is. And as Paul says here, when we're walking in that broad way, when we are walking on that highway to hell. We are walking in the ways of the prince of the air. We're not walking in the ways of God. See, God is the creator of the heavens. He's creator of the seas and the dry land, as it says in Jonah. We covered that not too long ago, I think. In other words, he made it all, folks. And because he made it all, he is sovereign 
over all of it. And yet there's this other guy. This other guy that roams around and he even goes up into heaven as we see in Job and says, when he's asked, hey, what are you doing here? Oh, well, you know, I've been out just walking to and fro in the earth because guess what? It belongs to me now. Satan claims to have dominion over this world, and yet Paul says he is the prince over the air. Notice, Paul doesn't say he's the prince over the heavens. He says over the air, which when you look at it can also mean empty space or void or abyss. Basically, Satan is the prince over nothing. And yet he claims to be a prince. And when we are walking in sin, when we are walking in his ways, he claims to own us. Because we're walking with the usurper. We're walking with the one that claims with nothing to back it up that he owns this place. All the devil wants to do for you is he wants to drag you down with him. You've heard the phrase, misery loves company? Yeah. He is the author of that phrase. Because he cannot stand it. He knows he is doomed to destruction. That his days are numbered. He knows that the day is coming soon when the rightful owner of this world is going to say, enough. And he wants to drag you down with him. If we are walking down that broad way, if we are walking in his ways, then he says he owns us. And there's nobody to stand up for us because we do not know God. It's a scary place. It's a scary thought. How many of you really want to be owned by a creature that simply just wants you to burn with him? I don't. That doesn't sound like a good time to me. That doesn't sound very fun. And yet Satan does everything that he can to lay traps and set out snares to grab people. In fact, He's convinced a whole lot of people that he doesn't even exist. All the while, he is whispering all sorts of temptations in their ears. And yet, they don't acknowledge that he exists. And they believe that just simply by acknowledging that he doesn't exist, that they're good. Unfortunately, I would say that they are sadly mistaken. And this world will tell us, hey, if it feels good, just do it. But brothers and sisters, coming from a sinner to a sinner, sin only feels good for a very short moment. There's some elation in that temptation as you're getting up to that point, and then it's gone. And all that we're left with is feeling shameful. And we're left with guilt. Especially if we know that what we've done is wrong. 
And yet there are people saying, oh, you're not really hurting anybody. It's no big deal. You're fine. You know, okay, so you, you know, you, you stole a little, little something. Ah, it's all right. They won't even miss it. They had plenty. Ah, so you're on that website, www.notachristianwebsite.com. No big deal. You're not hurting anybody. That's ah, all right, you know. You're fine. It's not like you're killing anybody. Yet, once we get that feeling and then it goes away, and then we are left wanting more because there's that emptiness. There's that emptiness that we're dealing with. There's this hunger. There's this craving. And like I had said before, it's like we're zombies looking for brains. We're just wandering around trying to find that next time when we, we feel for a moment connected with something. Even though all we're connecting to is ash and fire and something that is going to go up in smoke. When we are walking in the broad way Satan has us like hamsters in a cage. And we're just going on that wheel like crazy. And we're honestly not getting anywhere. And the funny thing is, I, I don't know about you, but I know how it was for me. I know that when people would say, dude, what's wrong with you? Where you're, what you're, the things you're doing, that, these aren't right. And I would heartily defend what I was doing. As though it was the thing that was keeping me alive. I would say, no, you don't understand, man. You can't judge me. Who are you to talk to me about that? You don't know. You don't know me. And I would defend it. And yet, it wasn't what was keeping me alive. It was what was keeping me dead. It was what was keeping me in that void. It was what was keeping me in that empty space and in the dark. Because I had no true connection. I was, for all intents and purposes, dead, and I didn't even know it. And when we continue, and we we pick it up again, Verse 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy. I love that. But God. It's the one time we can talk about but in church. But God. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the wages of sin is death. It gets no simpler than that. 
And the interesting thing is when we look at it and when we're thinking about it, God could have, in that very instant, the moment that they bit into that fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, not even swallowed it, in that very moment, he could have, that could have been it, and they would have died right there. That could have been it. We can know this because in the book of Exodus, the Israelites had craved meat. They started to complain. We're tired of this manna stuff. Y'all, they were tired of bread from heaven. They were tired of it. And they wanted meat. They said, give us meat. And Moses is going, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need some help here because... Are you going to bring in a bunch of flocks or herds out of nowhere? Are you just going to raise them up out of the ground? What's going to happen here? And God says, don't worry, I got this. And this wind comes up from the sea, and quail are driven into the camp of Israel. This is over 600,000 people, and it was three feet deep of quail. In the camp. Can you imagine you've been complaining, man, I'm tired of this manna stuff. I, I want to eat something else. Manna, manna, manna every day. Can't we have something different? I want some meat. And you wake up and you walk outside and before you've cleared your eyes, outright you're swimming literally in quail. Thank you, Lord. You've answered our prayer. But the problem is, that the moment they took it and they sunk their teeth in it, before they'd even chewed, God brought a plague on them. Boom. Lost a bunch of Israelites that day in the middle of the desert. But what does God do? They take a bite of that fruit and they try. They try to cover their sin, don't they? With fig leaves. I don't know about y'all, but have you ever seen what a fig leaf is? It's not that big, number one. I mean, at least if they'd used Deliciosa Monstera, you know, the the Swiss cheese plant, might have covered a little bit more. It would have been a whole lot more comfortable, too. Fig leaves are not the most comfortable leaves. Those got to be itchy. But anyway, I digress. So they try to cover their sins, and they're hiding, and God comes into the garden. Let me ask you something. Do you think God knew where they were? He did. Do you think he knew what they had done? Without a doubt. And yet, he calls out and says, Adam, where are you? I don't think this was a moment where God actually needed to know where he was. God is asking Adam, where are you at in your heart? What, what, are, what are you thinking? Why have you done this? And yet, God knows the answer to this question, and yet, he gives them a chance to own up to what's happened and say, God, we're so sorry. But is that what he did? Is that what Adam and Eve did that, that day in the garden? It's not what they did. They, they played the blame game. And she said, oh, or actually, he started out and said, hey, Lord, the uh, woman you gave me, 
She gave me the fruit. It was her and uh, you made her. And she said, oh, no, no, the serpent. The serpent beguiled me. He tricked me. And I knew, God, you made the serpent. They were playing the blame game and trying to shift the blame. And it's not a terrible surprise. They're new to this whole thing. But God gives them a chance. And he didn't have to do that. He could have started all over. And that, but that's not what he does. And we get into that, but that's a different sermon for another day. But we know God could have started over because we have other stories in the Bible, don't we? What about Noah? What happened with Noah? The Bible says, and every thought of mankind was wicked. And God got to the point where he said, enough. I have six people left. I'm going to save them, and I'm going to start again. And we have the flood. God wipes out all life except for those that were in the ark. It's not the only story we have, is it? We have Sodom and Gomorrah. God himself literally comes down and walks in the city. Again, do you think God knew what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, yeah. He knew what was going on. And yet he goes. Who does he have with him? He's got two angels, right? There's a witness of what's happening. There's a witness of why God ends up saying, okay, you've seen it. Lot, you guys need to get out of here. You're the only righteous ones left in this entire city. Go. And then God destroys the city, raining down with fire. Then we've got the the story of the golden calf, where Aaron is asked by the Israelites, make us a God. We don't know what happened to this Moses. Guy was probably gone two or three days. Gone up on the mountain, and Aaron makes this calf, and they rise up to play, if you know what I mean. So they have this whole big festival to this God that they created with their own two hands. And God tells Moses, you know what? I'm done. I'm about to destroy all of them. And I'm going to raise up a new chosen people from you. And Moses intervenes and says, God, don't do that. Don't do that. But brothers and sisters, even though God could do these things, and he has every right because it would be just simply like we said at the beginning of this point, the wages of sin is death. It's not a second chance, second opportunity, a do-over. It's death. And yet God gives us a chance to understand to know him, to know him more. It is his grace, but God. God 
gives us grace by even allowing us to draw breath. He gives us that grace for giving us a chance to, and this is the second point, if you're looking at that, if we come to, as Chaplain Verdon has said last week, know God, then we will know life. Because God doesn't want to leave us in this mess, amen? God wants to see this cleaned up. There has to come a time when sin will be dealt with and it will be done and over because sin can only have its time for a short while. God is allowing us to see what the wages of sin are. There will be no one in heaven going, well, you know, I wonder what would happen if somebody rebelled against God. I wonder what would happen if somebody just said, you know what, God, we can do it better. Nobody's going to say that because of this. Because of what we are in the midst of. And brothers and sisters, we are like Lazarus. When we are called by God, whether that's a small voice, whether you just feel that conviction in your heart that comes from the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, maybe you're feeling that, maybe you're hearing that right now here in this sanctuary. Maybe you are hearing him telling you to come to him. Maybe you are feeling that tug at your heart and you're recognizing the sin in your life. You're recognizing that you have not been walking in the right way. When we hear that calling, we raise up. We have that chance and we come up and he says come out of the grave and we get up and we're still in our grave clothes y'all we are still bound in that sin and when he calls us we got to step out we got to come out of that grave and it is then that he says loose him and we get that that sin comes off from his power from His grace, because He has wanted that for us. And we have finally heard the call to come out. Come out of her, my people. And we are called into the light. For the first time, we can see the very world around us we start to understand what sin is and that it's been dragging us down that whole time. That we didn't truly understand what our purpose was. We didn't know what the meaning of life was. But when we become to know God, we come to know and understand what that purpose is. That purpose is not about us. And we are called to pick up our cross. And follow him. God doesn't just leave us in the cemetery. He says, come on, let's go. We got work to do. Because there are other captives. There are others in those hamster cages that need to know, that need to see this light. And he uses us to do that. Because our focus cannot be on us. It must be on seeking the lost. 
And one of the most beautiful things is He promises us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Even if we walk away. Just like the prodigal son, even if we walk away, God doesn't go, oh well, that's nice. He doesn't necessarily chase us. But He sits and He waits. He gives us our space and says, while He's weeping, and it's breaking his heart. He's waiting for us to turn around and go, oh, wait a minute. This is stupid. And head back to him. And the moment he sees us on the road back to him, he doesn't just sit there. He gets out of the house and he runs. Y'all, something we don't understand in this culture is in the Middle East, it is undignified for men to run. Some of y'all might have been in Iraq, Kuwait, some of those lovely places. It's undignified to run. In fact, they would rather die than run. And he just says, forget it. And he runs, and he has open arms, and he says, come. Dress him. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party tonight because my son, who was dead, is alive. He was lost, and he has been found. It's glorious. But we need to remember too that our salvation, and this is our third point. I'll be wrapping it up on this one. Our salvation is paid in full. At the cross, Jesus said, te telestai in the Greek, which literally means paid in full. It can be translated, it is finished, but it, all, it means paid in full. They found it on receipts in ancient Greece. And what we have in verses 8 to 10 is, For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Brothers and sisters, God was not obligated to save us. He loves us. And He wanted to save us. He was willing to go through the most horrible experience anyone could ever go through to see that we are saved. We are warned of what sin does in our lives and that flash of guilt that we feel at the beginning that's the Holy Spirit knocking on our heart saying what are you doing stop but brothers and sisters we may have been called but we might fall short we're gonna it's gonna happen from time to time because we still live in a sinful world it's not finished completely yet our salvation has been paid for, but we still have some growing to do as a church. Amen? We still have some things to do. We still need to wake up. Amen? So, while we're going through this, God also tells us that He is faithful to forgive us if we repent. So I want to remind you that if you're in this sanctuary this morning, if you're saying... Oh, but chaplain, there's no grace for me. 
especially for you. Absolutely for you. God is still in the business of saving our souls. He has not forsaken us. He wants us to return. God took back Moses. God took back David. God took back a countless number of people in the Bible who we see as imperfect because they were. Yet when they returned to God, God took them back. There's no one here. There's no one in this world that is beyond redemption. Because God can still do that. He can still bring us from death to life. It's his gift to us. He has paid the debt. That sacrifice that was required was given by him. He did it all all the way up to here we are now and it's, he's going to continue working. We don't have to do anything for our salvation. Mind you, does that mean we just get to sit back and go, oh good, thank you Jesus, take the wheel. Thank you Carrie Underwood. That's not what he's saying. Because Paul says that our good works that we should do our good works, not so men can see them, but that they may praise the Lord and that our Heavenly Father may be glorified. Our good works just don't have to get us home. Our good works are the result of the fact that we recognize that we know God, a God that loves us, a God that cares for us, a God that has paved the way for us to get home. It's not our good works that get us home. Our good works are in gratitude and in service to our high king. Maybe you've heard of a man named Paul Harvey. And I kind of left you on a cliffhanger. See, he used to come on the radio, for those of you that are younger than me, which I'm sure is most of the room, he used to come on the radio and he'd tell a story and then he'd stop before the commercial break and you're going, what, what do you mean? That's where he's stopping. And he'd leave it on a cliffhanger and then he'd come back and he'd say, and this is Paul Harvey and this is the rest of the story. Soldier that I was telling you about. That conversation he had with his mother, he didn't think about it. Not until later. And it was when probably a year or two after that, he met Jesus. He surrendered his life to him. And his faith began to grow. And he called him to be a pastor. And years after that, called him to be a chaplain. Brothers and sisters, that young soldier that his mother wanted back was me. Let us remember that the wages of sin is death. The fact that we draw breath at all is the grace of God. Let us repent of our sins, accept the grace that God offers us, and walk with him in his righteousness. At this time, our praise team is going to come up, and we're going to sing our closing song.